Hi there. Welcome to listeners from across the globe. My name is Allison Nune, and this is Best Damn Reality, a new podcast intending to help bridge the spiritual and material worlds. Each week, I invite you to join me and to suspend all preconceived notions, to open your minds and your hearts to seeing everything from a much faster perspective. Should you be enticed enough, please also consider visiting me on my YouTube channel and on my business Facebook page, both under the name Allison Nune. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. Episode 3. Welcome back to anyone that's been tuning in to the first two weeks, either or both of those first two episodes. And I'm only going to remind folks for another couple of weeks of this particular invitation. Uh, The first 12 episodes, episode 1 through 12, is going to be, I will say again, it's a particular specific topic chunk of recordings, very much intended to be taken in as its entirety and and not necessarily in order. Um, I would say episode one, you know, listen to the first one and the last one in that order, and then the ones in between mix and match. But for the sake of ease, really each story, each week is being interwoven, and it's part of painting a much bigger picture. And yes, the story is coming through the character of Allison, stories of my past, but it is being shared with the understanding, underlying assumption here, that my story is our story. It's simply a microcosm of the macrocosm. And because I've been studying myself as the character in the story and as an extension studying the stories that I'm living and that I have lived, because I'm sharing it with that knowing and the lessons and the revelations and what I'm sharing is very much got the, the, the intention to connect to you, the listener, in such a way where if, should you receive it and feel like, oh yeah, especially the stuff that resonates in a positive way. Because there is no doubt that I will be causing probably just as much triggering in a quote-unquote negative way, in an uncomfortable way. In fact, I would predict that as soon as that happens, people check out and people leave. And that is why I'm working hard here to encourage you to sit through, I've said in the first episode, give me four episodes Just give me four, really give yourself four episodes to feel me connect to the part in your story that aligns with parts of my story. Because we all, we're human beings. And while each of us has an incredibly unique journey, right? It's unique to each of us, very different. No two human beings, no matter how similar Their choices, even the same choices, affect different human beings in a different way. So no matter matter what, 
the story is different and unique to each of us. Yet, there are collective things that the journey is shared, that we share. We all experience happiness. We all experience pain. We all experience successes and failures. We all experience death. We, we experience loss. We experience these things. These are generalities. And I have taken my, I am sharing this with what is intended to be a balance between the uniqueness of my character and my story but also with the understanding and the intention to try to connect to the more general things being exposed to me and being learned by me and relate them to you. So I'm trying to establish a feeling, really even beyond the words. And this recording process has been, I mean, I'm only on week three here and I can't even begin to express here what a journey getting recording two completed was for me. The dream is to be able to one day have a platform where I am doing this live, where my show is an hour long weekly show and I'm doing it live and we're in the moment of the energy on that particular day and I'm able to take live callers and actually have a back and forth. This is very, very challenging for me for many reasons, least of which because I'm not seeking validation. I don't need people. I'm not looking for a bunch of people to agree with me and see things from my perspective. However, I spent a good deal in this life unknowingly having a very high attraction point of needing external validation. I didn't have the understanding to what degree. I didn't understand why because I, I, and I would argue that the fact that I was successful in the classroom and on sports fields and sports courts, those are two things that this paradigm highly values. Intellect, smart people in that, in, in really a very hyper-focused expression of intelligence in paper book style. And extremely good athletes, because there are a lot of smart people in many other expressions than just paper and book. And there are incredible athletes and musicians and actors that never make it to the mega status, which is one of the limitations of our current paradigm is that we all think what you got to be a megastar to have talent that could be of value out in the world. That's bullshit. I'm just trying to find the audience that wants to hear, wants to try to either be entertained by my stories, but really I'm here to guide others on this, who are consciously on a spiritual path. Meaning, the most specifically, I am talking to the ones who are ready to live and create in the new earth, a new version, different systems. I, I don't have judgment for anybody that still wants to be mired in the current paradigm. But it, it, it's just been, it's just been a, a real, it's a challenge for me to put my words out there. First and foremost, because words can't even begin to describe what I'm really talking about. The spirit, the unseen magical world that is us. And 
the desire to allow us to come together to co-create a greater mass reality that reflects that greater truth. That's what I'm all about. But words can't describe it. And I'm a lover of words. Words are how I expressed for most of this life. And I had a lot of discernment that I had to learn from seven and a half years ago when I launched into this and was sharing a lot more words and a lot more, a lot more. I was sharing without a great deal of discernment early on. I didn't know better. All I knew is that, uh, you know, some people come here to do work in the physical form that is of a bigger nature, not better, not better. But there are people who have unique callings as one individual to have a much more public and as such further rippling effect with their direct Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Mother Teresa. You know, like these are people who they were one person, but we know how much their one person efforts affected change and growth and expansion in our world. I know that that's what I'm intended to be. I have that capability and I have the desire to simply fulfill my soul's purpose. But I don't need it any longer. And therefore, to expose myself and my words and my thoughts, especially with no reflection at present of these recordings, I have no idea how many people are listening. I have no idea if people are listening for how long of the recording they're listening, and or what, if anything, is resonating in what way. And all, I, I'm, I have to expose myself in this way. At least I don't perceive any other option in things, in the situation that they are in, in our world at present, for me to draw in and find. I, it's like I'm answering a calling. I hear the calling. I feel the calling by many to do something truly from a different foundation that can genuinely help and affect change. And ironically, at this exact moment, mid-July 2020, the doing, we are all being asked from a higher level to do more of is actually to not do. That is the deeper meaning, one of the deeper or higher level meanings, possible interpretations that one can make regarding the pandemic times that we are all facing right now is it is a massive slowdown to reevaluate. I, I could and would make a very strong argument that there's a lot, increasingly insane amounts of walloping, inefficient activity that's just creating more chaos on our planet that has been building and building and building for decades. It's not sustainable. It's not balanced. It's definitely not in harmony with all the living beings and essences on the planet, even amongst humans. If we just keep it focused on human beings, any system operating in a hierarchy 
to the extent that our hierarchies have grown and more specifically, the insane disproportion of what the top of the hierarchy makes in terms of wages versus the bottom of the hierarchy, uh, it, it, sorry, way inefficient when human beings are being treated that disproportionately, disproportionately. When you are not taking into account the world of the unseen and the people that, the people and things that do not have voices that have representation, that leads to incredible inefficiency. And if you're not treating one another as a human being and seeing each other beyond a dollar sign, beyond some sort of number on a spreadsheet, that leads to insane levels of inefficiency. So the doing right now that I'm being called specifically to is simply I've got to be courageous enough to reveal big parts of myself again. Last time I revealed it, but I didn't have the audience that I have this time. I wasn't part of the Iron Man world, which has exponentially grown my world. I I didn't have the audience, and I certainly wasn't anywhere near at the maturity level in a lot of ways of where I am today. I have to be a a voice because (laughs) as each day passes, it is becoming more and more clear that the systems that do need to collapse, to change, and the only way they can change with as bad as they are and as, as out of control as they are is by a collapse. And I happen to have a lot of people in my network that perhaps might be more drawn to this in another four to six months, depending on if we really are at this point where everything, we're about to hit a a different zero point. You know, it's a grand equalizing energies, I think, are headed our way. And if you've done really well in these systems and in the current paradigm, you're going to be the one struggling the most. To whatever degree you're attached and dependent upon and, you know, to the current systems. And, and, and trust me, however much you are, you could probably multiply that by at least two, if not three or four. Because it's just, un, it's incredible the magnitude of the conditioning and the proliferation of the conditioning that has taken place of human beings. It's, it's you don't even know until you start opening your mind to something vaster and living that openness, living in pursuit of something that you cannot put your finger on, living in pursuit of something that you can't yet see, until you start doing that, as you simultaneously break further and further away from the current way of doing things, from how you always were, boy, you just don't, you don't realize the degree to which this stuff is ingrained in us. I mean, I've been doing this every thought, every choice for eight years. And I am stupefied that I can still go as dark as I went last week for a two-day period. Just hopelessness and sad and alone. And, and that's because I fall back in to this limited 3D way of looking at things. And if you're doing well, 
in that you're not going to be seeing it through that perspective. And I would argue that you're probably afraid to see it through any other perspective. Because what will that mean about your life if you've done well with these systems that need to collapse? So without going any, any further into that, let's, I want to review last week. Okay, enough of the stream of consciousness intro. Uh, but a good, I like it. I like that. I like starting with that energy. And now I'm going to highlight the point I just want everybody to again take pause, yes, through my story, but recognizing that we all have these connections in our own stories from last week. So last week I shared about Joe Dumars, Chucky Atkins, Kobe Bryant, the sport of basketball, my, you know, my playing of basketball and a little bit about my story and what I want make sure that people see and just don't miss here is kind of how crazy it is, the synchronicities that ended up happening 100% without Allison's conscious. Up until my awakening, I was living a very reactionary life. All I knew was that I had a lot of energy, a natural desire to expand. I had no discernment. I loved everything that I was exposed to. No ability to discern. And I, 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 I just, I didn't have any control really over, I didn't understand how I was creating my life. And I really didn't know what I wanted. I really didn't know. I just loved living. I love living life and I wasn't at that time dialed into any specific calling. So I, I didn't have a plan, very reactionary and just busy all the time. And, um, and therefore didn't even have the capability to be proactively, consciously creating my reality like I have been for the past eight years. So Joe Dumars, I'm a huge, I live in Detroit. I'm a huge little town boy, so I love all of our Detroit teams. Just so happened, so first coincidence, if you will, that I happen to have an uncle that works for the Pistons in, in a way and in the capacity that he'd actually be able to have a relationship with them at a high enough level where he could arrange such a big thing for his niece. It's not, not even his daughter. I'm just his niece to play with two megastars of the NBA at this time. Like that's holy shit. Number one, then two, I, I, basketball was so new to me when I did play and meet with Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars that it, 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 it wasn't my favorite sport and wasn't even my second favorite sport at the time. I had no dream of playing basketball in college. I didn't have a dream of, I knew it was expected that I would go to college. It was expected of me. So I was knew I was going to go to college, but I didn't, and, and, you know, again, you grow up in Detroit and if you're a, a higher level student, which I was, it was pretty much going to be Michigan State or Michigan. Those were, it was like I was going to go to Michigan State or Michigan. That was the only, that's as far as I got. And then I did not have this dream of I'm working my ass off so I can attract a scholarship and play such and such sport. I, not at all. So when I attracted a scholarship five and a half years later, six years after, six and a half years after beginning to play the sport, that is a synchron, is like another holy shit that I'm attracting a scholarship 
and at the level that I was being attracted at. Division one, no other division one school was recruiting me actively. I was, you know, I think I was ranked the 25th player, best player in the state, whatever that means, because I can guarantee you that's arbitrary, you know, like it's subjective. It's not like a fact. So I attract a scholarship and I happen to attract a scholarship to a school across the country. I had never even been on an airplane where a guy was playing basketball that would make it to the NBA. That is a statistical unlikelihood. When you look at all the statistics of all the college basketball programs, the number that go into professional, their professional sport, their sport professionally is very small. And it wasn't like I'm going to UNC or Duke, you know, where those guys, almost all of them go to the NBA. This is the University of South Florida. I swear to God to this day, most of my family still doesn't know where I went to college. You know, that's why they were so appalled when I didn't go to the University of Michigan, but instead was going to this like second tier school all the way in Florida. So I go to a school where there's a guy that's even going to make it to the NBA playing at a time when he's playing, when I would have a chance to meet him. Then that that same player would not only make it to the NBA, but would play for the NBA team for whom I was one of the biggest cheerleaders for my entire adolescence and literally recruited by the guy I played one-on-one with that changed my life because of the example of a human being that he set for me. And here I am all these later, all these years later, finally at 44 years old, beginning to approach, this is what I came here to do. I didn't come play in your game. I got to play my game. But man, it's going to take me longer to show you what my game is all about. Give me a chance. I've earned a chance. You know, like finally I'm at that level where it's like, I'm not going to forget this time. I know it's hard to stand tall when you're trying to, you know, give voice to something that's not yet been manifested. Do you know how hard that is? But I'm telling you, it's like I got pigs flying behind me and nobody else can see them. But I'm telling you, they're right there flying. When you look at last week's stories, and that's just one week. You cannot deny that a much higher energy is got a divine plan that is clearly rolling out. And upon my awakening, I made those connections in that way for the first time. I couldn't even see that until I had my awakening. But upon my awakening, because I was a seeker for my entire, right up until 35 years old when I finally got it. When I finally hit the frequency enough, I had been seeking it and feeling that my entire life. So it was instant. The life review that I did, I could instantly see how that spirit, God, the oneness, how it was really in control. And my job is to align to it, to serve it and to make the choices I have to In our human beings, the free will to choose is what makes us human. You got to choose to be that light. You got to choose to live that and not settle for any limitation of the earth paradigm. And I was called to provide this enormous, undeniable example. Yet here's something else that 
my journey has taught me shocking lessons the past few years in the closest relationships of my life. Thus being very painful because I certainly wasn't intending to experience these experiences in this way. But I have found that when there are, when there are emotional wounds, emotional wounds, ones you cannot see, it's not like you can say, oh, well, you know, he's got a broken leg, he's in some pain. Or they're, you know, battling cancer. Give them a break. You know, like they've got a physical thing that you know they're dealing with. Emotional, dealing with the emotional spectrum. Again, that is one of my expertise, areas of expertise. And that is not a world that you can see. It's one you feel. We feel our emotions. And I still, unbeknownst to me, had a hell of a lot of honing in on my own energy to do that I could only do in intimate relationships. And that's not an area where I have a long history and I don't have any examples of a full reflection of me in my light. I had a lifetime of examples of a reflection of me in my dark. Me in my light, I'm, I, so... What I realized in those relationships, because they still revealed my own wounds and the other person's wounds, so it was messy, it was ugly. Those people, though, who had a front row seat to everything I was living, all the growth I was going through, I could point it out. They were living it as close to me as they could without being me and still not seeing anything in the same way that I was seeing it, which stupefied like stupefied me before I couldn't give it voice I I could feel the dynamic of my relationships prior like all my close relationships but I I didn't understand it and I didn't I couldn't give it voice now I'm able to finally speak for myself and give myself a voice in these in these in this case very close relationships sibling and ex significant other and it was like they were they could not, would not, not willing to see it in my way. Even if they don't have to believe it, they don't have to agree, but they couldn't even agree to see it in the way I was seeing it. So I bring that up because even if I point out all these dots and connect them like I just did from last week's episode, to me, in the human 3D logical world, that is undeniable. How can anybody look at those factual things and not say, wow, holy shit, like, yeah, that is pretty incredible. And my point in sharing it is every one of us has that sort of deep meaning, connected, higher level, awe, shock, bowing, like, oh my God. We, we have no idea how much better things can be. As much as I've imagined it and I've spent a lifetime literally imagining this, and I'm finally trying to bring words to it. It's really bringing projects to it. Because I've got, I said before, I have to show this. This is not just words. I have to show this. I'm here to show this. I'm here. I love doing. But I was doing a lot of doing before with a very different energetic foundation. Where it was like the fucking Tasmanian devil spiraling out of control. In a lot of ways. I didn't have, I, I had the awareness that when I was dark, I never projected my dark out. I, I turned that all inward, which is why the magnitude of my self-loathing had gotten to the place by the time my awakening got where it got or got to where it could pop through. It was because it was either going to have to pop through or I was going to die. Simply that put, 
because I could not go on living with as unhappy and unfulfilled, as powerful as I was. I, I, I couldn't continue. So I had to awake or, or demise. So I popped through. I popped through at what I refer to as my point of no return moment back almost 10 years ago. But there were many smaller points of revelation, like I'd say mini pops, if you will, of breaking through to this higher level of consciousness, this perspective that I now have. It didn't, it happened very quickly for me and it can, but it can happen faster and it can happen slower. But I would argue that even if if for you, you're awakening, even if it is something that happens relatively quickly, I'm sure when you look in retrospect, one will find like I did that I had these smaller points of, you know, you're breaking down a conditioning. And I know that my first, absolute first beginning pieces of light are back when I went to Australia. So let's go back. So we're going to go back to 1998 and we're going to travel to the continent of Australia. Um, gosh, it's amazing how I have had the opportunity to circle with greatness just so regularly in my life. What, you know, and I don't perceive that, that I have even come close yet to flirting with my greatness, mostly because, like I said, the work that I came here to do is, is of a different nature. Um, I'm getting there and I've been fast approaching it, but when I'm able to support myself each day doing what I'm most passionate about, which is to live and, and contribute from my unique characters, perspective and skill sets and desires, that's when I will be living my greatness because I refuse to settle for being at the whim of a system that treats me as inhumanely as the systems of our mainstream world do. And the funny thing is, is that all of this was actually ignited within me for the first time at a faint conscious level. I was barely aware of it, but I was aware of something happening specifically when I started my traveling in Australia in September of 1998. So first story of synchronicity here. Uh, At the time, he would become my husband and then my ex-husband, but at the time he was my boyfriend. First area of synchronicity was this. At the time, he was the IMAX theater operations manager at the IMAX theater at the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa, Florida. And in that capacity, in that role, he would go to the annual IMAX. uh, Actually, it was a large film format conference, not just for IMAX films. Um, I think there were some, a few others, but he would go to this conference every year. And every other year, it was hosted internationally. And then every other year it was, it was either in the U S and then someplace internationally, then back in the U S then in a different place internationally. The first crazy coincidence is that it happened to be in the year I was in Australia, that the large film format conference was being held in Australia and happened to be at the time of year when I was going to be there studying abroad. So great you know, great thing for us because that meant that work paid for my boyfriend's plane ticket 
And in this case, for us to have a full week in downtown Sydney, not on our dime. And then he was able to extend his trip, I think another seven, 10 days, something like that after the conference when we were able to do a little bit more traveling together before he flew back to America. And then I would, I was going to be heading out, um, on more traveling upon his departure as well. So it was at the conference where I'm in the hotel room looking at his pamphlet of all the various films that were being previewed and shown and the different companies represented. And I see this company called Giant Screen Sports. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? I love film. I love sports. This, you know, and I was getting ready to graduate. I was already prepared to do a second internship with PricewaterhouseCoopers. I had done one. I was going to be doing a second one. And likely that was going to be turning into a job. But it wasn't 100% certain. And I really didn't have, you know, I, I really did not have a solid plan, you know, heading out of college. I really wasn't eagerly awaiting because nothing was really clearly calling me. And I definitely didn't know how lost I was about to get as soon as I graduated. But when I saw giant screen sports, a part of me thought maybe even job opportunity. So I look and I see that they're previewing a soccer film and that one of the producers was this guy named Andrew Shue. So I knew Andrew Shue. My, my ex did not know who Andrew Shue was, and that wasn't surprising to me. But I knew who he was because at the time he was a star on a very popular TV program called Melrose Place. So, and his sister, Elizabeth Shue, was even, you know, even a more prevalent actor than Andrew was in Hollywood. But I knew him because he was part of Billy and Allison on this couple on Melrose Place. And, you know, I was, I I watched Melrose Place and he was pretty cute. So I definitely knew who Andrew Shue was. So the conference had this huge, huge event on one of the nights towards the end of the week. And it was, it was held at the facility that was, this was right before the 2000 Olympics that were going to be held in Sydney. So we had an event at the swimming facility that had already been completed for the Olympics. So we go to this event and I remember, I mean, you know, my ex and I were not, yeah, we didn't really go out to large crowds and, you know, go out socially a ton in big crowds. So this was not something we did very often. So we definitely were trying to kind of stay, we picked a table to the far left of the room. And there weren't many people. There were like three people maybe sitting at the table. I think it sat like 10 and we sat across from these people. He and I did. And then all of a sudden, a group of three guys comes to approach our table. And one of the three guys is Andrew Shue. So I quickly, because I don't see these these folks, you know, Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, Chucky Atkins, Andrew Shue, like they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like any of us. As I've said before, they are no, they're not a better human being than I am. But I highly respect and admire what it takes to achieve anything in, in this, in this dimension and to do something, especially to have success at something that you enjoy. Uh, God, I mean, that's the dream for all of us, I think. So I have tremendous respect and I could appreciate that it takes a great deal to be able to maintain who you are and your humility and some sense of, you know, your, 
you know, just some groundedness when you've achieved any semblance of, you know, bigger success or familiarity with, with lots of people or fame. I don't particularly desire that, but I certainly can appreciate what that must be and how demanding most people are of these folks. But I was bound and determined to treat them like I treat everybody. I try to treat everybody as just a great person, I, you know, like in tremendous kindness and respect. I don't treat a homeless person on the street any differently than I would treat this guy, famous guy about to sit next to me. But with that said, I was definitely, you know, my heart was definitely racing a bit to be certain. So Andrew Shue has a seat next to me, introduces me to Don and Steve, the brothers that were the owners of this company called Giant Screen Sports. And I proceed to talk to these guys the whole dinner. And of course, my ex who was on my right and the guys are all on my left has no idea. Like he definitely doesn't know who Andrew is. And they immediately start talking to him. They start talking business because they're looking for which theaters they want to premiere their movie. And Andrew starts telling, you know, my guy, my, my ex, well, I'd make a personal appearance to your theater and I could tell I'm like, oh, he has no idea why that means anything. So then I, I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing. But then I like look to my ex. I'm like, look, this is who he is. He's on TV. A lot of people, pretty much any woman from the age of, you know, 14 to 30 is going to know who this guy is. It's going to draw a crowd to people to see the film at your theater if you want to bring it in, you know, and it, and, and it was just, it was just a, a surreal sort of experience. But as we started talking, I learned that all these guys went to Dartmouth together and I already knew about Andrew. I knew he had played uh, soccer in Africa, but I did not know that he had also taught math there. And so we end up just having a really, really good conversation at the table. And then he ends up, uh, we end up leaving to go catch one of the bus rides back to downtown Sydney. And he ditches his friend and follows and goes on the bus with us. And later I would find out that my ex is like, you know, he wanted to get a drink with us. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm completely clueless that I ended up. And I think he was probably wanting me to ditch my ex, even though I don't know. Like that part, I clearly I was an idiot and didn't know how to read those signs. But I remember very specifically on the bus ride back into Sydney, because the swimming facility was a good deal out of downtown, that we really connected talking about college athletics. And I shared with him a little bit about my traumatic experience with an abusive coach and how it really destroyed my life for a couple of years and how I still struggled. And at that point, I couldn't even watch my old teammates play. Like the pain was real and the damage was deep that was done to me um, in that short time of trying to play at that level. Uh, And Andrew was very curious about this. And his experience wasn't like that at Dartmouth, but then he shared about teaching math over in Africa. And I'm just, clearly this guy was a lot more than a pretty face and a famous guy, you know, on, in, in Hollywood that, you know, it's not a top A-list guy. It's not like I'm sitting next to Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or something, but he's somebody that, I connected with on a human to human level. I didn't treat him like he was some sort of God. I treated him like I would have treated anybody. And there was a genuine connection. 
And it would be a couple of years later. So again, I ended up not going out for drinks, even though he sort of was hinting at it. And we got off at our hotel before his hotel. And my ex and I get off the bus and we left Andrew Shue on the bus. So yeah, again, not many regrets in my life. That was one of them. But I later learned that he had an organization. I, I remember staying sort of abreast on him and on Giant Soon giant screen sports and on their progress. And I remember learning about this organization of which he was a part called do something. That's sort of the reason that I sort of have talked along the lines of that theme in today's episode and the paradox of the kind of doing that I think right now in our world we're looking to do. But Andrew was definitely a person that I would again, put into that sort of number four category because clearly he was concerned about using his fame, using his uh, successes and using any platform that he had to really for the betterment of others and having his own nonprofit being extremely active in that nonprofit as well as being active in supporting his friends from college in their endeavors with this company. It was just clear. And then just talking to him. I mean, the guy not only you know, was he playing professional soccer in Africa, but he took it upon himself to teach as well. I mean, this is not something that some silver spoon entitled person that didn't care about anybody else that was less fortunate than him would take on in these decisions and these actions. So it, that interaction was very much, um, you know, very much inspiring to me. Looking back, I think that interaction probably had a lot to do with setting just this dreamlike tone for the upcoming three weeks I was to have immediately after having this interaction, you know, with this Hollywood guy. So we ended up, my ex, you know, my boyfriend and I at the time, we ended up traveling to the Blue Ridge Mountains for a day. And then we went up to the Great Barrier Reef and I you know, we went on the scuba diving trip on this boat. Uh, I mean, I got sick most of that trip. Um, and I really struggled, even though I had gotten certified to be scuba, di- you know, to go scuba diving. Boy, breathing underwater was not something that came naturally to me. And yes, I went diving on the reef, but I don't know to what degree I was able to really take that experience in and enjoy it for, it was nerve wracking for me. I like blew through my oxygen, Um, but it was still really awesome to be able to experience that, you know, with somebody very important to me in my life at that time. Then we spent a couple of days Uh, It's one of the only places on the planet where rainforest meets coral reef. And this is up in the same area in Cairns. And we were in the Daintree Rainforest. And we spent, I think, three days and two nights or four days and three nights in the rainforest, um, which also met the, the, the reef, the Great Barrier Reef. And I mean, just, I just, I love being in nature and in the woods and isolated with very few people and just few people and the dynamic of nature sings to my soul. And again, to be able to share it with somebody that was close to me made it even more magical. So we had what was that? Probably about a week, maybe eight days together before uh, we would part ways. My ex was going to fly home to America and I was headed on a 10-day trip through the Northern Territory. 
So we went to the airport together. He went from Sydney back to Tampa, and I went from Sydney to Alice Springs, smack dab in the middle of the continent. And we were going to be taking a trip that would take us 10 days, and we would be finishing it. The trip culminated in Darwin, and this is in the state of Australia known as the Northern Territory. And oh my goodness, without doubt, to this day, that 10-day span was one of the best 10-day spans of this entire life thus far. I, at that point, once I, you know, went to the conference with my ex, um, those were the first Americans that I had seen since being in Australia in early July. I was alone from my school in America, and I just happened, there were some Canadians, other exchange students that were from Canada, but in my little school and on the street that all of us were living, um, we, there were no other Americans. I was the only American, which was great. I mean, one of, that was one of the aspects of the experience I wanted was to just get outside of the American culture. And although Australia was still obviously a Western, a Westernized culture, it was funny. It was like everything was back 10 or 15, 20 years, all the Car models were much older than what I was used to seeing in the States. Obviously, the population was, um, you know, much smaller than the collective United States. Um, The whole population of the whole country of Australia at the time was smaller than that of the state of New York. Uh, I think even smaller than just the city of, of New York, New York City. Uh, anyway, so it was okay with me that I hadn't seen any Americans for the first two and a half months of my trip. And then I arrive in Alice Springs and I get to the hostel and all of us were there. There were going to be 32 of us or 34 of us on this trip and 26 or 27 were American. So now I, I, this was the first time I had really seen Americans. And to be honest, it was a little bit refreshing. It was nice to have, you know, mostly Americans, but then we had some Germans, we had a Canadian, and we had a couple of people from uh, some other European countries. And there was a few people from Japan in that group as well. Um, that were about to enjoy one another's company for 24 hours a day for 10 days straight. And this is when something got ignited within me. In Alice Springs, the most, the most powerful, centralized icon of the Aborigine culture is a place called Uluru. The English name was Ayers Rock. And our journey would start that night from the hostel, the first time we're all meeting one another and we took two buses to Ayers Rock to watch sunset at Uluru. We were to return the next day and have a more extended visit here in this Uluru area. And there was also another giant rock formation not far from Uluru. And that was going to be the beginning of our journey north the following morning. But our, our trip began at watching sunset over Uluru in Alice Springs, Northern Territory, Australia, and the combination of just all of it, 
you know, recently having this amazing interaction with a very successful person. That's a nice little confidence booster. Having that time with my boyfriend at the time and being able to experience another country with him. We had never shared that. That was magical. And now here I am setting on you know, embarking on another two plus weeks of journeying throughout this continent and about to meet 33 other brand new friends. And I would become extremely close with, especially with four or five of them in particular. And the next morning, so we, we see sunset and it's spectacular to be, you know, to be sure this rock I would learn the following day that it extended more than two miles below ground. And on the surface, to go around the primary rock, the biggest rock in this overall foundation um, formation known as Uluru, was a 10K, 6.2 miles around the base of this rock. And our two guides, I remember, were very uh, sympathetic to the Aborigine perspective of Westerners could climb this rock once, uh, and it was sort of a not-so-minor disrespectful action that this was allowed on something so sacred in the Aborigine culture. So our two guides did their best to try to encourage as many of us as possible to not climb the rock and instead to walk around its base and to really take in all the descriptions of dream time, which is this period of time represented Uh, in and within the entire Aborigine culture. And so I chose the latter. I did. I was one of only a handful, though. Most of the people on the trip decided to climb the rock, but I walked around it and, you know, we took our time as we took in the energy, the stories, and, and that something was awoken within me. And whatever it was that was initially ignited in a noticeable way that night, only built, only was built upon for the rest of my time in that tremendous country. Uh, The rest of this trip, I mean, each day was somehow better than the one before. I had never experienced something like this. This was my first, you know, international trip outside of Cancun for my spring break and Windsor, Ontario, being it was right across the Ambassador Bridge in Detroit. I had never had an extended period of time in any sort of culture that was this different than America and this far away and completely on my own. And as, oh my God, getting to Darwin, I just, the whole journey was, something was being, was being awoken. And I then later would spend another couple weeks later, I would go to, I would meet a couple of the folks that I met on this trip. And we met up in uh, downtown Sydney and traveled to Melbourne. And I went to Melbourne for about uh, probably five or six days, if I remember. 
Um, oh, I forgot that after I came from the state of the Northern Territory, I flew to Brisbane and then I caught this bus that took me from Brisbane to Sydney. And we stopped at a number of places down from Brisbane to Sydney. And that was a whole different journey where I would meet, I didn't get close to anybody because that was only like a 48 hour trip. Um, but seen we went to a koala sanctuary in Brisbane and I remember went going to a winery I remember going to this play crazy place called Nimbin it's actually where somebody presented me with my first opportunity to smoke weed and I passed um, it would be another six years before I would try weed for the very first time uh, but it was in Nimbin Australia this small, small town where I remember being offered uh, my first hit on a joint and I was still pretty much a goody-goody and, and a little bit intimidated by that. So I quickly said no. In retrospect, I think it would have been fantastic to have to add it to have added that energy uh, to the trip. May have been may have put me over the edge. I might have floated, you know, I might have floated right out of reality had I tried weed for the first time in Nimbin, Australia. But um, and then towards the very end, uh, at the end of November, when the semester was done before flying back to America, I took a ten day trip in Western Australia and flew out to Perth and we went five days on the coast up north and then came back to Perth five days working on the inner part of that state and that trip was with nine other adults only one guide and a total of 10 of us and most of them were from Sweden there were three or four from Sweden uh, one girl from Japan three from England uh, and myself um, if I remember correctly and another equally as magnificent experience in the middle of this country. I mean, the Australian people love the land and they love their, their, just some of the nicest people I had ever met were the Australians. I mean, super generous, super kind, very much motivated, inspired by it just seemed to me much more connected to the land and to their culture and land in a way that, that I certainly hadn't experienced yet in my life. Um, and then I got back to Sydney and within a couple of days flew back to the States and whatever it was that was opened up there in Australia, I went, it closed right back up as soon as I got back. Even though I, something within me, without having to go very deep, didn't take much investigation when I got back and had something now to compare, you know, my, my, I had some comparison. I knew I was heading down some very wrong paths. I knew I was about to join the corporate world, which never was calling me. I knew that I was about to get engaged, and if I was being honest there, uh, it was the easy way out. I was definitely, I loved my ex-husband for sure, but I was so, I hadn't dated anybody uh, in college. He was the only person I had ever really dated, and I didn't really know who I was. Of course, I didn't know to the extent that that was the truth back then, um, but I just, I definitely was on the fast track 
to making some very big decisions um, that didn't seem to have room to ponder and play around with a little bit of what was ignited in Australia. So I got back to the States, and although the memories were still great, I definitely buried this deeper thing. Um, And it wasn't fully with conscious awareness that I was doing that. But when I look back, it's now, it's, you know, again, all the connections after I had my awakening 10 years ago, when I looked back at my life, everything made sense in completely new ways. And in this case, I didn't have to go very, dig very deep or investigate within myself much to know that when I looked back, Everything within me spiritually was opened up in Australia, and I just didn't know what to do with it. There was nobody in my life that had any sort, I didn't have any sort of close, I wasn't part of a religion at that point. Um, I wasn't, I, I, I just didn't know with whom I could even, I was terrified without being fully aware of it. I was terrified to, what would that have meant for my life? I mean, I was you know, I already had a job and a, and a husband. Both of them were right about to become the case, you know, the reality for me. What would that have said? I, I didn't, the thought of kind of starting over in some way, just as I, when I didn't, I didn't have a plan B. I didn't, I really didn't imagine a life at that point separate from my boyfriend. And I was scared and weak, if, if I'm being honest. Um, nonetheless, I look back now and know with certainty that everything to which I've now dedicated the rest of this life, I was first introduced to this knowingness within myself, this greater truth, this magic of living there in Australia. Um, So this week's story, maybe not as powerful as last week's in terms of number of synchronicities, but definitely on the energetic level. Australia holds such meaning to me. And perhaps one of the more surprising things I'll share before I conclude this week, I didn't learn till after the fact, years after the fact, to be honest, that my mom had always secretly dreamed of going to Australia. Never knew this. Never knew that she had um, you know, at this point when I had gone, she hadn't yet been outside of the country. Um, she's been to Italy since, but that wouldn't happen for another seven years. And at this point in 1998, my mom and I's relationship was still very strained. Um, but I remember finding out some years later that her dream had always been to go to Australia. And when I looked back upon that fact post-awakening, I definitely believed then that that wasn't an accident, that in some way my I was very purposely drawn to Australia because of that desire within my mom. It was like granting my mom's wish. I mean, ideally, the dream would be to grant it directly to her and to one day be able to take her to Australia But short of that, having me be able to enjoy that dream, you know, her dream through me, and I didn't have the awareness, I didn't know this, but when I look back now, that to me is probably not 
an accident, probably yet another very big synchronicity. And since synchronicities are the magic that I'm trying to encourage everyone to open their eyes to more and more, um, that's a perfect place to end this week. Uh, Thank you for listening and tuning in. And I continue to ask for your attention and uh, patience with me as the show continues to take more of a flow and I get hopefully a little bit better in my presentation as each week goes on. Thank you. Have a tremendous rest of your day and we'll journey again next week.